Good morning. Well, that was, that was awful. Let's try it again. Good morning. All right. My name is Eddie Shigley, and uh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, there are three things that I get to do here at IWU. The first thing I get to do is I get to teach New Testament, okay? It is my goal to keep you awake at 7.50 in the morning on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's a challenge, okay? But I want to let you know the profs don't like 750s either, all right? So I get to teach New Testament. I love it. In fact, props to my FYE freshman class who sent me a bunch of encouraging emails last night. Thank you very much, wherever you are. Appreciate that. The second thing I get to do um, here at IWU is I get to lead a ministry program called the Kern Ministry Program. And it is a, it's a privilege to work with such incredible future pastors, um, young men and women who are going to change this world for Jesus Christ. It's exciting. The third thing I get to do is I get to coach the women's tennis team. Thank you, all two of you. Appreciate it. Um, the women's tennis team, you know, we don't get a whole lot of press at times, so Hats off to the women's tennis team for an undefeated fall season, for winning the Crossroads League Championship, for having the NAIA's best double team in America, and Lucia Solis and Katie Wilson, congrats to a doubles, a national doubles title. Awesome. Yeah, go ahead. Give them a hand. It's good stuff. First time that has ever happened in the history of Indiana Wesleyan University. But here's what I, I, I love working here at IWU. We have fantastic, I have fantastic colleagues, incredible students I get to work with. In fact, I mean, don't tell Dr. Newman this, or Dr. Wright this, but I would actually work here for free. <laughs> okay, maybe not. It's a great place to be. It's a great place to work. But here's what I wanna do this morning. You should have received a three by five card this morning when you came into chapel, okay? I want you to get that three by five card out. Okay? I want you to get like a pen or a pencil out, and I want us to be interactive a little bit. Okay? I want you to write a few things down. We're going to talk about this a little bit. We're going to dialogue a little bit. Okay? So I want you to kind of get a pencil or a pen out or share it with your neighbor, get your three-by-five card out. And here's the first thing I want to ask you, and I want you to write down. Okay? Write this down. Write the answer to this question. Who are the spiritual leaders in your life? Who are the people that have impacted you spiritually? Who introduced you to Jesus? Who are the ones who've encouraged you to press into the heart of Jesus? Write those people down. Write those names down. As you're doing that, let me share a little bit of my story. Some of my spiritual heroes, some of the spiritual leaders in my life. First of all, my parents. My mom and my dad for just taking me to church every time the doors were open for encouraging me to follow Jesus wholeheartedly and to introduce me to Jesus. How many of you wrote, and raise your hand, how many of you wrote down there on your card a parent or one of your parents? Leave your hands up for a second. Look around for a second. That's awesome. Okay. The second person I wrote down 
is my youth pastor. My youth pastor, Jerry Pattengill, he actually works here at IWU. And Jerry actually was the first person to encourage me to read the Bible through from cover to cover. And then he held me accountable to that commitment. And, for, and when I was 16 years old, that's the first time I read the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation. And it changed my life, drastically changed my life. That consistency of being in God's word every single day changed my life. How have you put a youth pastor or a youth leader down on your card? The third person for me was a college professor, a college professor by the name of Dr. Glenn Martin. And Dr. Glenn Martin, what he did is he challenged me to think biblically. He challenged me to, to kind of have this whole thing that, that God actually applies to every area of life and that we must live our lives consistently in following Jesus. And he, he helped to develop inside of my mind a biblical worldview. How many of you wrote down a college professor? Raise your hand. Okay, great. Here's my second question, and write this down. Who are you leading spiritually? Who is it that you are investing in? Who are you mentoring right now? Who are you discipling? Maybe it's a, a friend. Maybe it's a roommate. Maybe it's a sweet mate. Maybe it's someone down the hall. Maybe it's a teammate. Maybe it's a younger brother or sister. Maybe it's a child in Marion that you're mentoring, and maybe you're part of a boys, uh, uh, the boys' club, and, and maybe your big brother or your big sister to one of the kids here in Marion. But write that down. Who are you mentoring? Who are you a spiritual leader to? Write their names down. You know, we may not realize this, but most revivals throughout history have been started by young adults, college students. I think one of the reasons is because you still believe you can change the world. We need you. We need your spiritual vitality. We need you to go deep with Jesus. We need you to go change the world. But it starts here. It starts at home. It starts with your roommate. It starts down the hall. It starts with your teammate. It starts with Marion. How can we be here for four years and not contribute or invest in the lives of people here in Marion, Indiana? One of my challenges for you is to get outside the walls of IWU and go and do some ministry. Go impact lives. Just don't sit here and soak it all in. Go do it. Go be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we're going to talk about spiritual leadership this morning, and there are seven key qualities that spiritual leadership, but to, today I'm just going to talk about two. Whew. Okay? Here's the first one. A spiritual leader possesses integrity or inner character. I want you to turn your Bibles to Numbers. Okay? In the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book in the Bible. Okay, so turn to Numbers chapter 13 and 14. In Numbers chapter 13 and 14, Moses is selecting leaders, leaders from each tribe. One leader from each tribe, 12 tribes, 12 leaders to go into the land of Canaan to spy it out, to check it out. Kind of give back a report as to the goodness of the land, as to the military um, fortiments of the, the enemy. And so here in Numbers 13 and 14, it talks about all of this. And, and as they, 
have all these uh, leaders they pick from, there's two men that stand out. You guys know these men, right? Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua. And in fact, raise your hand if, you're, if your name is Caleb or Joshua. Raise up real high. Caleb or Joshua. Look around. There's a lot of Caleb's and Joshua's. Okay, be thankful that those are the two good spies. Because there's a lot of weird names in here. Okay? Uh, wow. Your name could have been Sathur. Or Nobby. Hey, Nobby Head. Or Gadil. Or Palti. Or all kinds of... Igal. Aren't you glad you're not named Igal? Okay. Thankfully, the two good spies are like normal names, Caleb and Joshua. So we look through this whole this story, and, and, and they come back, and they, they find out that the land is exceedingly bountiful with all kinds of great fruit, and they come back, and they give this report. And this is in uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 26. There they reported to them in the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses his account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, the giants of the land. And people started murmuring. People started getting scared. And so Caleb steps up, and he says this. And Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And then the other ten guys said, No, 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 we can't. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. They'll spread among the Israelites a bad report, the land they explored. The land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw, they are a great size. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes And we look the same to them. And look, chapter 14, verse 6. And Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who are among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. A couple things. See, a spiritual leader has integrity, has this inner character. In fact, Caleb does the right thing even when it's not popular. Caleb does the right thing even when it's not popular. He lives a life of integrity. What about you? Do you live a life of integrity? Do you live a life of honesty, a life above reproach? Do people respect you for what, of who you are and what you stand for? Because Edmund Burke said this at one time. He says, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do absolutely nothing. Caleb did not, Joshua did not sit back and watch, stand idly by. They took action. They're men of character. They're men of integrity. 
You see, every decision you make, every decision I make, you're either building character or you're eroding character in your life. And Caleb and Joshua acted with such great courage because there's numerous decisions prior to this point in their life that had shaped their character. Can we be real for a few minutes? Can you put away your cell phone? Put away your computer. Let's be real. You know, this last weekend was a, was a good weekend. It's a good weekend here. Man, it was fun. Friday night, going to the basketball game, number one versus number two, a packed house, a screaming crowd, and a victory. That was awesome. That was a lot of fun. And then the guys' basketball team did it again Saturday afternoon. Maybe you're diehard fans, and Saturday night you went to the men's soccer game and the cold and the drizzle, and you toughed it out, loyal fans, to see the guys win. Maybe you went on a road trip to Fort Wayne to watch the women's soccer team win. Maybe you're a serious volleyball, volleyball roadie and you went to Bethel and you went to Huntington to watch them win two, two games. Maybe you went to FNL on Friday night or Saturday night. Good times. Kudos to an FNL leadership team for producing some good humor that's mostly clean. Thank you for not making fun of us professors too bad. Appreciate that. It's a good time. But you know what? Probably, this is my guess, probably some of you decided to go to a party this weekend and to drink alcohol. Probably. Some of you maybe went too far with a boyfriend or girlfriend this weekend and you regret it and you're feeling shame. Probably not just dozens, but probably hundreds of you access pornography on your computer or your phone this weekend. Probably many of you lied this weekend to a friend, to a parent to a professor, to a coach, to a teammate. Some of you may have cheated on some type of project over the weekend. You see, all of these decisions, every decision we make is either building our character or eroding at our character. And it does affect us affect us as, an, as a collective community, it affects us. You may think that your decisions only affect yourself, but it, it doesn't. It affects the community. Maybe it's things that we don't even see. Maybe you're allowing jealousy and envy to consume your heart. Maybe pride is killing your relationships. Maybe you have forgiveness and an unforgiving heart towards a parent, a stepdad, an ex-boyfriend, a friend. But you know what? I think we have maybe, just maybe, a generation of college students, a generation of young adults who might be just ashamed of their private lives, of the secret sins. You see, character is who you are when no one sees but God. And sometimes he alone 
knows. There's a story about a historical character, Hernando Cortez. He was a Spanish conquistador, and he, uh, he's the one who uh, defeated the Aztec Empire, claimed Mexico for Spain. And in 1519, he landed at Veracruz, Mexico, with 11 ships and 700 men. And the first thing he did was to burn the ships. He burned the ships. And I can imagine standing there on land and you're seeing the ships burn. You're going, what's going on? And he did that for a couple reasons. One reason is now they're committed to the task. There's no turning back. There's no going back home. I mean, they're committed to the task at hand. I mean, it highly motivated the men to succeed. But let me ask you a question this morning. And I asked myself this question too, because this is a good evaluation question. What ships do you need to burn in your life? What is it in your life? What is it, the actions, the attitudes, the habits that you need to get rid of? What is it that's holding you back? I mean, really holding you back from embracing what God has for you. This Christian life is sweet, it's awesome, it's joyful, but I'm convinced the most miserable people on the planet are Christians who are not obeying, who are living in sin, because we know better. I have ships I need to burn. What about you? Here's the second thing. A spiritual leader takes initiative. A spiritual leader takes initiative. Turn to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14, and this is one of my favorite conversations. You see, this is Joshua and Caleb talking. They're having this conversation now, and now they have finally been able to enter into the the land of Canaan. And you know what? The only people still living from their generation are two people, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb are the only ones allowed to finally go into the promised land. Their entire generation was wiped out in the desert as they wandered around the desert for 40 years. Not even Moses could enter into the promised land. It's Joshua and Caleb they are allowed to enter the promised land. And now you have a conversation between Caleb and Joshua. And here's what I love about Caleb. Caleb takes initiative. I mean, he comes to Joshua and he says, wow, let me at it. And we're going to explore this conversation a little bit. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, one of the things I noticed is that Caleb was not just leading himself. He was leading his entire tribe. Look at verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kinsanite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? He wasn't just leading himself spiritually. He was leading his entire tribe. And here's what we need here at IWU. We need people who are willing to lead themselves spiritually. We need people who are ready to dive into God's word and learn and grow and get closer to Jesus. But we also need people to take responsibility for others spiritually and to lead your roommate, your teammate, and that child in Marion. We need people who are going to embrace not only God's word but, and, and lead yourself spiritually, but also be willing to lead others. And that's what Caleb did. He's willing to lead others. Think about this for a second. Who introduced you to Jesus? Somebody did. 
My daughter Mariah, she was in uh, fourth grade at the time in, uh, in big church. She wasn't in big church, but in big church, the pastor, you know, um, challenged us to do this friendship evangelism thing. And so for Sunday lunch, we're talking about that. We're talking about how we can do that. And as a child, you know, you just kind of, you just go do it. You just have the faith of a child and you just go do it. And so the next day at school, she was riding home on the public school bus. And she's riding home and something just hit her. She must have been thinking about the conversation the day before. And uh, she turns to her friend on the bus and she says, are you a Christian? On the public school bus. Are you a Christian? And her friend says, well, I mean, I think so. I mean, I believe in God. Mariah, who is in fourth grade, about what is nine, ten years old, turns and says, that's not good enough. Even the demons believe that Jesus was the son of God. That's not good enough. She says, have you ever invited Jesus into your life? Have you asked him to forgive your sins? And the girl says, no, I haven't. And Mariah said, do you want to? And the girl said, yes. And she said, how about right here? And she said, okay. Mariah grabbed her hand and started praying. Just pray after me. Who says Jesus not on those public school buses? You know what I'm saying? And that girl received Christ on the public school bus. And Mariah waited on that front porch of our house until I got home. She was so stinking excited to tell me. And then we had to go to her house and invite her whole family to church. Isn't that awesome? We have to take spiritual responsibility for ourselves, but also others. Secondly, look at verses 7 to 9 in this passage. Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. It says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Cadus Barney to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. We need men and women to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. No matter what the cost is. This campus needs men and women following the Lord wholeheartedly. This city needs men and women who follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And when that happens, I believe God will move. I was youth pastoring in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and I had three guys who are seniors in high school approached me at the beginning of the school year, the beginning of their senior year, and they said, hey, Pastor Eddie, we believe God has called us. They're that we need to follow God wholeheartedly. We believe God has called us to fast and pray on Wednesdays because our youth group met on Wednesday night. We believe that God wants to do something incredibly special, but we also believe that there's some things that only happen when we decide to fast and pray. My response, and I said, well, how do you want to do this? He said, well, we'd like to come to your office because they had an open lunch on Wednesdays. They can go out and, and, and into the community and eat at such wonderful, nutritious places like McDonald's and Wendy's and Burger King. Yes. We didn't have a Chick-fil-A. Okay. And so, um, so they did that. And I was like, are you sure you want to do this? Because I like food. And that means I have to fast and pray with you. And I was a little unsure of this. Plus, do you really want to do this? Can you really do this all year? I mean, we're talking about three teenage guys. Um, men, do you enjoy food? Absolutely. Men and women, do you enjoy food? Yes. <laughs> yes. 
Absolutely. We're on a, a tennis road trip and we're trying to decide where to eat. And I said, hey, ladies, do you want to eat at Chick-fil-A? And they're like, no, we have Chick-fil-A back on campus. Let's eat somewhere else. And one freshman said, this is like three weeks into the semester. She said, I've eaten at Chick-fil-A every night since school started. <laughs> the entire van said, freshman. <laughs> I mean, we enjoy food. I was like, there's no way you guys are going to do this. We're talking about guys. There's no way this is going to happen. I mean, we show up for fat meal just because it's fat meal. And sure enough, every Wednesday, they left their school. They came to my office. They fasted and prayed every Wednesday for an entire school year. Guess what happened? God showed up. Students in our youth group led 225 people to Christ that school year. I'm convinced that it's because three young men decided we're going to fast and pray. We're going to fast and pray. Those three young men, one was a youth pastor for years, another was a youth pastor for years here in, uh, in the States, and now he leads a, a team of people in a country I cannot tell you because it's a Muslim-controlled country, and I can't tell you where that's at. And the third of, the, third, the third of those, that triune, the third people, the third person, whatever his name is, I know his name, but I'm not going to tell it. He went to China, started a bunch of house churches there for about 10 years. All thousands of people come to Christ. Then to Pakistan, started house churches. And now he's Indonesia, starting churches. You see, those spiritual giants, it started when they're back in high school. And they decided to fast and pray. The third thing is, let's look at verse 10 and 11. It says here, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved around the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to to battle now as I was then. Caleb was 85 years old. Christianity is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's important that we do get started on this race, but it's more important how we finish the race. And I don't know about you, I want to finish like Caleb. I want to be ready to fight when I'm 85. I hope I'm just still alive at 85. But I want to be ready to fight for the kingdom of God. My grandfather, he... uh, would literally build churches with his hands. He was a carpenter. He'd build churches, pastor it, get it started, and then go and build another church, literally get it started. And that was kind of his gift, kind of planting churches, getting things started, handing it off to someone else. He did that several times. And when he was 84 years old, he was actually on top of a church fixing the roof, age 84. 84, on top of the roof, fixing the roof of the church. That night, he has dinner with his wife. It's time to go to bed. He goes to bed, and, and he says, you know what, honey? You go ahead and go to bed. I want to spend some time with Jesus. And so he gets in this big lazy boy chair. He gets out his Bible. He starts spending time with Jesus. In the middle of the night, his wife wakes up and notices that he's not there. So she gets up, goes into the living room, and he sees him. Sees her husband with his Bible open with this incredible, peaceful look on his face. 
and he had stepped over into eternity. I can only imagine what that must have been like. I can only imagine that he was there spending time with Jesus, praying, conversing, reading his Bible, and God saying, this is good, isn't it? Just come on home. Okay. I don't know about you, that's the way I want to go. One other thing we see about Caleb here in verse 12. Verse 12, it says, he says, now give me this hill, hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites, the giants were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. You see, Caleb understands the secret to a victorious life. And that is with God. With God. Caleb conquered the hill country, the mountains, which is the most difficult terrain to try to conquer. He conquered the cities that were large and fortified. He conquered the giants of the land. Caleb picks the most difficult mission against the most difficult people. Because with man... This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Let me ask this final question. What are the giants in your life that are defeating you? What are the giants in your life that are defeating you? So many times we try to conquer regret, shame, temptation, anguish, and sin in our own strength we will not defeat it. We will not overcome it. We will not forgive. We will not get rid of those addictions. We will not do great things for God. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God wants you to experience forgiveness, joy, peace, freedom, and victory. He wants to use you to impact lives for his kingdom. He's calling you to be a spiritual leader. Because with God, all things are possible. But here's what I want us to do as we end. Grab your three-by-five card. Grab your three-by-five card. And here's what I want you to write on that. I want you to write down the ships in your life that need to be burned. I want you to write the ships in your life that need to be burned, the things that are holding you back from being all in with Jesus, the things that are that stumbling block that keeps tripping you up, whatever it may be, write those things down as a way of, God, this is, this is yours. This is it. This is not mine. I've tried to defeat these things, and I have failed and I'm tired, I'm tired of failing. I've got sin and shame and regret. And sometimes I think there's no way that God can use me.
Maybe that's how you feel this morning. Write on your card. Those ships that need to be burned. As we close this morning, there's a couple of things I want us to do. One, tell your spiritual leader, spiritual mentor this week, just tell them thank you. Write them a card, send them a text, tell them thanks. Secondly, lay down your hurts, lay down your burdens, your fears, your shame, your addictions at the feet of Jesus. Burn those ships. Third, be the spiritual leader God has called you to be. Be the spiritual leader God has called you to be. With man, that is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for the student body. I thank you for the faculty, the staff, the administration. It all makes up and comprises what we know as Indiana Wesleyan University. It's who we are, this collective group of people, this community. Some of us are sitting, some of us are standing, some of us are kneeling. This morning we give you our junk, our crud, our sin, our shame, our regrets. our unforgiveness, our addictions. We got to take it, take it. We've tried in our own strength and we fail and we ask you just take it. We can't do it, we can't overcome it. But with you, just like Caleb did, with you, we can be victorious. With you, with the Holy Spirit living in our lives, All things are possible. And so we come to your feet. We offer ourselves and say, use us, help us. Help us to be the spiritual leader you have declared us to be, that you have made us to be. May we not settle for the the junk. May we not settle for anything less May we be willing to be that spiritual leader to stand up no matter what it costs us. We will follow you wholeheartedly. That's our prayer. And as we leave this morning, may we leave those three by five cards behind as a representation or burning it. We're leaving behind. We're burning the ships. We love you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.